Good morning. Good morning. I was realizing the record, is that right? Yes. Thank you. It's reading that description and the things that aren't quite true anymore. <laughs> I'm completely here and I'm not part of Hokiyoji's staff anymore. But I had a good one there. <laughs> So, I'd like to begin with a dedication. So, I originally dedicated this practice period and would like to rededicate ourselves always to those who have preceded us in this practice from India, China, Japan, Vietnam, Indonesia, from here in the United States and from many places worldwide. And for those who will follow in our footsteps, may we be good stewards and to provide a smooth path to practice and live upon. To those whose lands we now dwell on, who once had thriving communities right here in this place particularly to the Ashinaabe and Dakota peoples who were forcibly removed by European settlers, and to African Americans who were pushed out to make room for I-94, splitting the Rondo neighborhood in two. Perhaps someday we too will be removed against their will by a human-made or natural calamity. Let us commit to always hold our ancestors and antecedents in mind with deep gratitude as we live and practice in this place in the present moment with virtue and diligence. This is the practice of bodhicitta, arousing the way, arousing the awakened way. This is a weekend when we particularly, hopefully, bring gratitude to mind. So this is really important. I myself did not shop on Friday. <laughs> I think that we need to redirect our efforts elsewhere. So I'm going to do a little bit of an overview. So today is the end of the fall practice period, which I've had the honor to be shepherding. And there were many good sheep. <laughs> Some who were present in the class and others who were there in our hearts. So we were studying and living with the paramitas at this last seven weeks or so, being guided by Robert Aiken and his book, The Practice of Perfection. He wrote this book quite a while ago, and 
I know there's many, many books on the Paramitas, and there's many wonderful books, but I have a, a place in my heart for this particular book. So I'm just going to go through the Paramitas a little and talk about them, and I think there'll be room at the end where it would be lovely to have a little bit of a discussion or conversation about the Paramitas from the people who are in the practice period and everybody else too. So, or if, as I'm going through them, if you want to chime in, just please gosh up. So we began with the Dana Paramita, and it's often referred to as or defined as giving or generosity, but Aiken Roshi takes it in a little different direction and ha and defines dana as relinquishment. And that really resonates with me, and I believe it resonated with the others too. That giving and being generous with no strings attached, completely letting go of something you're giving with no expectations in mind. I think this is a really difficult one for us, that oftentimes when we give something to somebody, we often have ideas of how the gift should be used. Whether we're making a donation to an organization or we're giving something to somebody standing by the highway exit or many different things that we give that we think that somebody has, that we have an idea of how it should be used. Like, are we okay with giving five or ten dollars to the person who's standing by the side of the road and not worry about if they're going to buy food or use it for where they're staying to pay the bills, or if they're making a direct shot for the liquor store. But I think oftentimes we hold back and think, well, I can't do this. I had this experience when I was leaving here one day a couple of months ago and this man came up to me and asked me for some money and I looked in my wallet and all I had was a $20 bill and I took a deep breath and I took the $20 bill out and just gave it to him. I had, I admit, I had some reservations, but I still did it. I think I was already starting in the practice period, so I just wanted to say, you know, I was, I was doing it for myself as much as I was doing it for him. To say, I can, to, do my best to let go and to just do it. 
to just relinquish that 20 dollars and not not worry about it. i mean what how it was going to be is for just doing it the next thing the next parameter we looked at hello everybody there on zoom <laughs> i didn't say hello <laughs> um the next parameter we looked at is called we explored is called shila which is often defined as morality and in the book that Robert Aiken was basically going through the precepts and um, they used as guidelines to live by that we knew we know that these precepts can be used and lived with and trained by with and are nuanced and spacious and that they must be applied in accordance with how conditions arise and should not be reified. I had the honor to go to this Soto Zen 100th anniversary event in Los Angeles last week and Shohaku Okamura Roshi was speaking on the precepts and he said something very interesting. He he was looking at the Soto school particularly and he said that the way we practice with Soto Zen is that we do not adhere to the Vinaya which are all these rules that uh, that were set out for monks and that the rules were created as the people, the monks lived together and something happened and then so a new rule would come if so, some difficulty happened to deal with that difficulty and I believe that the Buddha was not meaning for those rules to stand in every situation, but people took them after he died and reified them and made, made those rules something to always live by. But Chohaku Okamura, where she was saying that in Soto Zen, we don't necessarily follow the Vinaya, which are these reified rules, but that we practice with Shila, which is looking at the precepts and there's some um, spaciousness to living with these guidelines of the precepts and the Eightfold Path, which I found kind of interesting. So the third precept we studied is often referred, Kashanti is often referred to as patience. But R Robert Aiken offered us the word forbearance. And forbearance seems to imply <coughs> or suggest coming back and coming back and coming back and 
for me, the word forbearance has more depth to it in some way than straight patience or more, more it gives me a clearer idea of how to practice with patiently, but always knowing to come back. But if we get impatient or we get frazzled or something happens and we completely lose it, the forbearance to come back and find our balance seems quite beautiful to me. And as I said, anyone can pipe in anytime. <laughs> and this was followed by virya, which is often translated as energy. And Robert Aiken offered zeal. And, and I had mentioned this at the, at the opening talk, and Tenshin Rabbi Anderson Roshi offered it as enthusiasm. It can also be looked at as effort. So during our time together, the, all the participants embraced different components of the practice offered. So from coming to Zazenic Clouds to connecting with practice partners and coming to our meetings and seeing how the paramitas can function in our daily life. And it seems to me that there was zeal, enthusiasm, and effort that was displayed and it was wonderful. People seem to be pretty joyful when they're coming together, whether it was at our class or coming to Zazen in the morning. Or, and I, I noticed that people were, a number of people were really enjoying their practice partners and, and cherishing those relationships. And I'm sorry for those where they didn't completely work out, but we have our Sangha, we can continue to seek out the people. Dhyana Paramita is defined in this book as settled focused meditation. We explored how this meditative mind isn't only what we do when we sit on a cushion, but how this mind serves us during our daily lives. For example, when we're driving on the highway or washing the dishes, can we focus on what we're doing and be settled? and have them, the Zazen mind with us throughout our days to inform our lives and make them smooth. You know, that doesn't mean very much if the only time we're settled is when we're sitting on the cushion. If we go out and are crazy, it's like, what the heck are we doing this for, you know? <laughs> The prajna paramita followed, and prajna is wisdom, but it can only 
We practice with how we conduct ourselves. Wisdom permeates the practices of all the other paramitas. In fact, each paramita is fully integrated with all the other paramitas. They are not standalone and cannot be seen separately or enacted separately. But you start doing one thing and that generosity has wisdom in it. And when we're, when, when we're doing any particular thing, there needs to be all the others, as I said. And then Robert Aiken adds, he, he goes with like 10 more, 10 parameters completely, and we got through about seven or eight of them. And so he goes on to look at upaya, which he defines as compassionate means. And this is often in a, usually uh, defined as skillful means. And as this was being discussed in class, the conclusion was come to that upaya is best looked at using both skillful, or I, I added wise, and compassionate means. And Fukutoku led that class because I was in Los Angeles and I think they had a wonderful class. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so, and then I, I listened to the recording of the class and I was thinking, you know, that's really, it seems to me about appropriate response. There's a koan about appropriate, uh, responding to what comes up and what's arising appropriately. And I, I believe that appropriate response encompasses both the skill and the compassion to come together to be appropriate. But I was thinking too about the little uh, piece that Sh uh, Shakyamuni Buddha gives us uh, in the sutras on right speech. And he goes through, is it true? Is it beneficial? Is it the right time? Is the person you're speaking to ready to hear what you have to say? And in actuality, that can really, anything can be, any action can really be substituted in there. So it's not just about our right speech, but when we're doing something for somebody else and how we're doing it and seeing what works and what's appropriate at that moment. I think at the time I gave a talk on that and because I was thinking what I was having a hard time coming up with something that wasn't appropriate to say if it was true and somebody in the congregate in the Sangha said well I think it would be true that somebody has a pimple on their face, but it probably wouldn't be beneficial to tell somebody that. So I was like, 
That's so true. It's like we have to think about what's appropriate. So, and then the last, the last paramita we looked at from Robert Aiken's book was called Pranidana Paramita, which he defines as aspiration, and he speaks about bodhicitta the mind aspiring to be wise and compassionate. We often define this as the way-seeking mind. Again, all these paramet all the paramitas arise in this one. And personally, I I felt pretty exhilarated this practice period. Uh, being with the paramitas. It made me really happy. And I hope that happened to other people as well. But uh, that they're offered as vehicles to activate the Eightfold Path and the precepts in our lives. We are given these lists of guidelines of what to do. And, and then we have to figure out how to do these things. It's like, how do we enact the precepts of a, Buddha, a disciple of the Buddha does not kill, or a disciple of the Buddha does not slander somebody else, or, or upholds the triple treasure. And we're given all these guidelines, but how do we do that? And so then the paramitas are offered us so that there's a way to, to activate all these different so-called guidelines that we are given to live by, because it can be kind of confusing. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel to think about this, that we're given something, a basis to live our lives. And I know for myself, when I can activate these things in my life, things go pretty smoothly. When, when I get off kilter and aren't quite, and I'm not quite living by these practices, I suffer. So, I mean to show us that this happens by being compassionate, wise, and generous, to being calm and coming back to a settled way before we act. The paramitas can be called upon to help us in our daily activities to live well. So, this is what I have to offer, and I would love to hear people who are in the practice period or people who practice with the paramitas to offer their take. Um, I'm curious what's in the Thich Nhat Hanh book. <laughs> oh, so I had, I was uh, 
confused or somebody told me that I was going to need to offer compassion practice during Zazen this morning. And then I was not completely thinking, oh, compassion practice is the dedication to people who are ill and dying. And so then I came up with this guided meditation. So that was what was in. And if we actually end up with time, if people aren't, don't have things they want to share, I'll, I'll read this. I'm hoping that people might have things to say. <laughs> Uh, okay, the other thing I was going to say is um, when you, you talked a lot about the guidelines, but I didn't hear so much about like engaging with them in an individual way that's okay. meaningful to you, and I was just wondering if you could say a little bit about that. Well, I, I did say something about the Donna part, didn't I? With Sheila, I think that um, it's important to know the guidelines and to know that they're not fixed. So let's take the precept of not kill. And so that's, that can be taken literally in terms of our diet and in other things that those people in India who might have a broom with them to sweep aside the insects so that they're not stepping in. And I think it's difficult in our lives to not kill, literally to kill anything. But there's a way you know, in the meal chant, we say innumerable labors have brought us this food. We should know how it comes to us. And in our short verse that we often use, we say um, people have labored and died to bring us this food. And so there's gratitude in that. But honestly speaking, anything we consume somehow has been killed, whether it's a vegetable or it's an animal or I guess that would be the two basic ways we consume food or a grain or something that we're, we're taking the particular life in a different direction. And in, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh in this book is always talking about continuation, that nothing actually dies, that things are continued in different ways. And so, Kanagiri Roshi used to say, no matter what we're eating, whether we're eating vegetables or meat, or something else, if we're not eating those things with appreciation in that way, 
if we're eating things mindlessly, we're killing them. If we're eating more than we need, if we're wasting food, that's a form of killing. And so that's something I take into mind, that I am not a vegetarian, that, that I am, I try to mindfully eat whatever it is I'm eating and to consume what I need. And I'm not always successful, but I have that in mind. So I can, that's something I can say about Sheila. And with the Kashanti with forbearance, with, I come back a lot. I come back when I'm sitting or when I'm doing my daily activity. I, I really cherish my breath. I, I count them. And I'm not talking about one, two, three counts, but I rely on it because it helps center me. That if I'm frazzled during the day, I can just stop and breathe and come back to some type of common equanimity. But in this book, you know, I'm going to go in a little di different direction, but he's taught, you know, a lot of people use the word mindfulness a lot. And that's, but Robert Aiken's word for mindfulness, instead of using mindfulness, is recollection. And it's about coming back and recollecting, recalling our own true selves and coming back to our own true selves. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. I just, you know, that, that, that gives me something more to look at and to take responsibility for if I'm like, Oh yeah, because oftentimes we might do something that we either feel really good about or that we feel unhappy, I wish I didn't do it. And there's always that opportunity to come back and recall our own true essence, our own true selves. So this answer is taking a bit of time, Emily. <laughs> And Viria, I don't know that there's that much more to say. I, I really, this practice makes me happy. It makes me joyful. And I'm not talking about ha-ha joyful all the time. I'm talking about just gives, helps with feeling content. And even if I'm feeling shitty someday, sometime, that there's this underlying drone of some joy 
this practice is here. But a while ago, I was in the midst of cancer treatment, and I was I was uh, going through chemo, and uh, another old friend of mine from Minnesota Zen Center, who's living uh, near Sanshin in with Shohaku Okamura, she got a different form of cancer that was terminal. And I had a really hard time with that because I felt like, why is it that I'm going to be alive and she, her life is going to end soon. And we usually think of those things as I would be fortunate because I'm living a longer life and this person is unfortunate because she's going to die sooner. And I felt kind of funny about that. And I realized that this fortunate and unfortunate doesn't work. And what I came to was when I was thinking about that is actually we were both really fortunate because we had this practice to help us support us through our journey. And so that's the kind of joy I'm talking about is I'm the zeal, I'm enthusiasm, all that stuff. So. And I think I said enough about Dhyana Parami, the settled focus meditation, and being able to use that settledness in our daily lives and I, with our breath. You know, as I'm going through these now, things are intersecting because the paramitas really do intersect with each other. And wisdom is is there always that we were speaking about upaya a little bit and when people were speaking about the skillful means or compassionate means and the need for both of those words to be there that if you don't have one something can be done in a very skillful way that an expert way but if it's done without compassion, it might, you know, just not work. And if something is done with compassion, but not skill, that too might not work. That we were talking about, or I was talking a bit about this idea of idiot compassion, that people just give and give and give, and that it might not be mindful giving. So I was speaking to my son in Japan last night, and we were talking about this one couple who we often visit when, when we're there. And they do this whole thing where they make us a banquet and they have a stay. My husband and I stay over their house and do all these things. And my son's term for this is aggressive hospitality. <laughs> and 
I think there's a skill to giving where Jacob was saying that thinking about particularly what what's an appropriate, you know, what's an appropriate gift or this or that. And this doesn't have to do really anything with Japan particularly. And this has to do with this particular couple who is, you know, just wanting to do this thing and is not necessarily thinking about the receivers. And so something doesn't work. So, so, um, and so then the, the paramitas are intersecting there too of what's appropriate response and, and what, and what is relinquishment in giving? Because is there, is this, is a gift being given with nothing expected in return? And uh, so, and the final parameter we looked at was aspiration. And the great thing about this practice, I think, is being able to continuously aspire to do better, to find balance, to come back, to recollect. And uh, I, I think I do this, and I think we all do this, you know? We keep showing up, keep showing up here and in our daily lives and with each other, with our families, and just keep showing up, perhaps with a smile on your face, or maybe not. So, it was uh, this is just coming up for me because you have this extensive answer. So I'm gonna sing my little song now. <laughs> You've got to get up every morning with a smile on your face and show the world all the love in your heart. People gonna treat you better. You're gonna find yes you will that you're beautiful as you feel. I'm sorry, Carol King, I don't sing this note. <laughs> and I can sing that because my husband was going to come to this talk, but he didn't. I wanted to sing that. My first Dharma talk I gave at MCMC after hers ordained and Wayne was like, please don't sing. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> oh, are you here, Dwayne? <laughs> yes. So, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I can't see you, just your name. So there. So now, does anyone else have I think we have two minutes. So if anyone has anything they want to comment 
We have a question on Zoom. Okay. Um, can I you hear? Hi, can you hear me? Yep. So, um, being new to Zen, it's um, uh, the vows, you know, saying vows is um, it's kind of a new thing. And in his aspiration, I thought he had a really good explanation. He says, our vows move us from the singular to the plural, to abandon indulgence in the soul stuff and divert energy to the community. And um, my experience from the fall practice being at a long distance is that that showing up that you talk about does lead me to um, seeing myself as more, uh, thinking more in terms of the plural of the whole Sangha and less of the single self. So I thought that was um, a really good ending point and beginning point of my practice as I go forward. Thank you. Oh, I'm supposed to look here. <laughs> okay. 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 We have. All right. Thank you for your talk. Sure.